0: Little Jesse was a gambler, night and day Well, he used crooked cards and dice A sentimental guy get hurted, but had no soul Heart was hard and cold like ice Jesse was a wild, reckless gambler he won a gang of change And a mini-gambler's heart he led in pain When he began to spend and lose his money he began to be blue and all alone. But boy, his heart had even turned to stone. What broke Jesse's heart while it he was blue and all alone? Sweet Lorreen had packed up and gone. Police walked up and shot my friend Jesse down. I got a dead of date. He had a gang of crap shooters and gallons at his bedside. Here are the words he had to say guess I ought to know exactly how I want to go. How you want to go, Jesse? Eight crab shooters to be my Paul Barons. Let them be veiled out in black. I want nine men going to the graveyard, buddy, and eight men coming back. I want the gang of gamblers gathered around my coven side, a crooked card printed on my hearse. Don't say the crap shooter the novel, grave over me. My live bandy dog curse. Send poker players to the graveyard. Dig my grave with the ace of spades I want twelve polices in my film arch. I shall have playing blackjack lead to parade. I want the judge and solicitor who jailed me fourteen times. Put a pile of dice in my shoes and what else? Let a deck of cards be my tombstone, buddy. I got the dying crab shooters blues. Sixteen real good crab shooters, sixteen bootleggers to sing a song, sixteen racket men gambling, cover ten bars while I'm rolling along. He wanted 22 women out of the Hampton Hotel, 26 off a South of Bell. Twenty-nine women out of North Atlanta No, little Jesse didn't pass out so swell now his head was aching Heart was thumping Little Jesse went down, bowing and jumping Folks don't be standing around, little Jesse crying He wants everybody to do Charleston whilst he dies One foot up and a toenail dragging Throw my friend Jesse in the hoodoo wagon Got me a mama with that can of boo Dying craft, Shooter's Blues, I mean the craft, Shooter's Blues
1: You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Julia Wertz. Uh, her latest book that came out, was it last summer?
2: Uh, yeah, last
1: fall. And uh, it's uh, Drinking at the Movies. Um... As well, she has the Two Fart Party Collections From Atomic Books And Was it I Saw You?
2: Oh yeah, I just forget about that one
1: Yeah, I couldn't find it in my bookshelf So we'll pretend it's not here Or exists Um, Last time I had you on I guess was after the second Fart Party Collection came out and Yeah,
2: she was, was two summers ago Yeah, yeah.
1: And things have changed quite dramatically since then. Um, You've been signed to a book publisher, dropped by a book publisher, Mm -hmm. and uh, as well as a lot of personal changes. Um, Maybe first we'll jump into kind of what was the experience putting together. Uh, A... I was trying to say this without uh, sounding douchey and pretentious um, A book for a proper publisher As compared to experiences with <laughs> atomic Comics
2: More books. than fancy New York publishers Yeah um, Than
1: necessarily a publisher that's used to comics, let's say
2: Right, yeah, this is definitely um, It was through Rivers Press, which is a division of Random House And they, they've done a few graphic novels But they um, overall aren't in the graphic novel business so, um, surprise! I had a surprisingly easy time working with them. Like they let me have free range of what I was going to put in there and of uh, design. Um, but like you said, they're not familiar with working with comics. And even though I actually really liked my editors there, and I like, um, like I like the company, but they just don't really know what to do with comic books. So it kind of. I wouldn't say it fell by the wayside, but it just went down a different avenue than I might have liked, which was a little bit more mainstream being in Barnes & Noble, and I just kind of wanted it to you know, to go to people like the Comics Reporter and to be in comic book stores, but then it got caught up in one of those messy diamond uh, distributing wars, and I don't know. So um, hopefully I work with a comics publisher next because that's just kind of the, the world I'd prefer to be in.
1: What do you think it is that they don't get with comics?
2: Well, the the big publishers don't understand the importance of small things, which in the world of comics is, especially indie comics, is everything. You mm-hmm. know, like well, the, the website reviews, they don't really understand how important conventions are. The only convention that they asked me to go to was New York Comic Con, which I could give you know a flying fuck about. I don't... I, <laughs> I wanted to go to SPX, and they don't table at um, IndieCons, because it's just not worth their money, but that's really important to me and to the community of comics, so it's mm-hmm. just kind of disappointing, I guess, that they don't understand. They deal with bigger picture things, and I'm, comics is a little picture, you know, industry.
1: Yeah. Overall, those sales, compared to what you would get from a small publisher, were they better?
2: They were much think? better. It just And it was it, the good thing about having books go to places like Barnes & Noble is you reach an audience that isn't normally necessarily into that or wouldn't really know to pick it up because it was just there. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people who potentially could like graphic novels aren't going to be inclined to go into a comic book store, but they will go to Barnes & Noble. So I reached a lot of people who I get a lot of emails like, oh, I wasn't really into comics, but I really liked yours. Do you have any suggestions? So that's a big perk, but... um. I don't know, probably the only one of being in a bookstore.
1: How, when you're putting this book together, um, did you kind of approach it a little differently from your earlier work uh, as an expectation of how it was being released?
2: Yeah, I paid a little bit more, um, a lot more attention to sort of the storyline and um, uh, mostly artistic. I, I don't really like the art in that one because I hadn't quite found my footing, but there's a lot of spelling errors in the fart party books and <laughs> you know, we made a choice with uh, Ben and Rachel atomic books I love them to, to just leave it in that had a sort of you know indie zine feel but uh, I'm done having spelling errors and um, you know just messy art mistakes so I cleaned that stuff up and that was definitely a that was more of a personal choice than feeling that I had to bend to their wishes
1: um. Was a lot of the work published or uh, created primarily for the book, or did you do minis yeah. that were?
2: Um, I took some of the, you know, there was some four-panel stuff that I would thrown up on the website over the years about moving to New York, but I redrew everything, and um, so it was all mostly created for the book. And the ones that were reused were redrawn and rewritten.
1: Now you, since then. Uh, for lack of a better term, were dropped from the publisher. <laughs> um, let me go. They let you go.
2: Yeah, they. Um, you know, it sold good for a comic book, but it didn't sell good for the, you know, their numbers in big publishing. Uh, which I think, you know, they want to sell forty thousand books, and <laughs> comic books, unless you're really famous, don't sell that much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's considered a huge success if you sell ten thousand, and it went over that mark, but not definitely not anywhere near forty thousand. So they just passed on the next proposal. So I'm um, I'm just shopping it around, I guess. Probably gonna go back to. It looks like going back to a smaller comics publisher, which I'm happy with.
1: To to be nameless for now.
2: Yeah, until it until it gets signed. No one.
1: You, like, talking in person You seem to have, like, some kind of frustrations Over the experiences Is there anything you want to elaborate on Throughout (laughs) it, or is it kind of Better left unsaid
2: You always catch me at conventions (laughs) I don't like conventions Uh, I don't like being there I like going to them and hanging out with people afterwards But I do not Like being at conventions There's something that's just really uncomfortable about Sitting behind your work and you know, asking people to buy it Or the worst is if they take way too long Producing your book And it's really uncomfortable Or they, they'll look at the book And then look at me And then look at the book And it's just so uncomfortable <laughs> So whenever you catch me I'm always kind of in a bad mood
1: I um, seem to remember one person asking uh, What was your best book And you said they all sucked <laughs> That's
2: so annoyingly like self-deprecating It's yeah. uh, kind of <laughs> the default I just annoy myself <laughs> yeah, that's a hard question though, because I don't really, you know, if it's a younger person, I tend to direct them towards fart party. If it's an older person, I'm I'm just like, come back in ten years, I'll have a book for you then. <laughs> it, I
1: I do understand what you're saying though. Like, I I have a lot of difficulty, and I've brought this up on the show before about how, um, the experience is when someone has to put themselves on display at a comic convention, where it just, like doesn't seem entirely the best way to be engaging in the work, I guess.
2: No, and I almost wonder if, um, from my point of view, I prefer that the creator is not there, actually, so I can look at the work and not feel bad. It just seems extraordinarily uncomfortable to look at someone's book and then decide you don't want it, and put it down and walk away. There's mm-hmm. just something uh, horrible about that experience. So it's not the best.
1: I kind of understand that. I At TCAF... At times I would just take a break From looking at tables Because I can only spend so much And there's lots of great stuff And it's hard to be like Yeah, this looks great But it's not worth my money
2: Yeah, I've stopped going around At conventions entirely Just to avoid doing that Because it makes me feel bad So I can Um. sit at my booth And
1: complain So after you were done Drinking at the movies um, You went through Kind of a personal change uh, You allude to it through the book And I read somewhere that That was kind of something pushed by the publisher um, How do you oh. feel about including that In the book?
2: Well, you should probably say what it is I quit yeah. drinking the book And, um, well I said, okay, so I, I said That I quit drinking At the end of drinking at the movies I quickly throw in this last page that If you read the last page It feels very out of place It's kind of uh, it alludes to the future in all six panels and it says in one panel that I quit drinking but I just threw that page in there because they wanted the story to sort of wrap up a little bit and which is fine, I mean, I think any publisher would, but when I made that page, it was literally th- I turned in all the papers the day before I went to rehab, which was a year and a half after drinking movies actually ended um, you know, experiencing all that mm-hmm. so i I was just in this mindset of like you know someday I actually will quit drinking, even though it's a lie that I quit drinking at the end of the book, so I'll just go ahead and put this in there, and someday it'll be true and <laughs> um it you know it, i you know I'm sober now, um it's something that I still struggle with on a daily basis, so it was sort of presumptuous of me to say that, but um, you know i I don't know, it is what it is. So it's
1: a bit of a lie, but whatever. I'm, I'm, it's It's interesting the way you kind of, with your comics, because they're so autobiographical of, I guess, it's a balance of creating this um, kind of linear story, and that kind of takes away from it when you have to include this something that's just not a reality yet within that story.
2: Yeah, it definitely does. That's why reading that page feels so forced. It just sort of all of a sudden jumps out of the story and addresses things in the future, and um, that's definitely something you have to watch out for when you're writing autobiographical things. Especially um, other like a technique that can take it out is if I use, I'll use a lot of dialogue in the book I'm working on now, and I've taken out a lot of the text. But then I sometimes will drop in too much text. That's just that's going on a tangent. But um, yeah, I'm gonna stop talking about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's okay <laughs> Um, I guess part, part of that the, the, the difficulty is kind of When you create this um, Euphemistic ending It kind of trivializes the experience too maybe
2: Oh sure I mean it made it seem And because I sandwiched quitting drinking in With a whole bunch of other things um, When in fact uh, I you know the last Few years of my life have been like completely uh, devoted to and absorbed with drinking and quitting drinking. So, uh, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, doesn't, it does trivialize it when, in fact, it's been the biggest thing in my life for the last few years. So I know some people say that's a good thing. But there's a lot of reviewers that said that sort of trivialization of the big issues in that book was... Uh, it worked and it was a relief, but now that I've sort of passed... And past the worst parts of those things I want to go back and revisit them With more detail, much to the chagrin Of some people, I'm sure
1: Um, And this is going to be the focus of your next book Is is this experience, right?
2: Yeah, well, depending on whether or not I do it I've got 120 pages done And then last week I was like I don't want to do this anymore Uh, Never mind So... (laughs) I started working on this other book about when I moved to San Francisco that I'd actually drawn uh, maybe a couple months before I did the fart party style, that's way back in um, the early aughts, I believe people are calling it,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and um, it's a totally different style, and I recently found it, and it's basically a whole book drawn in this style, but I need to redraw it, because it's just, the art's atrocious, but I decided to do that for at least this summer, because I think I can hammer it out pretty quick. So we'll see. But I probably will end up putting this book out. Um, it'll just be, it just won't be for some people, we'll put it that way. Which my work never is, but, <laughs> you know, some people really are anti. <laughs> I know. Some people are anti. It's not a recovery memoir. It's mostly about the struggle to quit drinking and then continually doing so. like, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of sober time, because that's a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, And I I don't know, like, the recovery memoirs, there's just so many, and I want to do this one because it's going to be different, I hope, than most of them, because most of them have this structure where it's like, everything was, you know, it was such a spectacular debacle, and then I went to rehab, and then I never drank again, and it's been amazing. But a lot of these people write these books within the uh, the first month to a year that they get sober, and if you know anything about sobriety, which I'm not going to purport to because I haven't had a year, but um, it, it never, you can't do anything in the first year and think no. that that's going to be for forever. So I wanted to, like, I drank after rehab um, a couple of, I've had a couple of relapses, and I want to talk about that, because I feel like a lot of books don't, and they make rehab out to be the end all of end all, you know, which just solves everything, which is, there's one thing I learned in rehab is it does not, because most of those people were back their, you know, their third or fifth time. And it's just sort of a very inaccurate picture of that experience to say that it solves everyone's problems and ends the drinking, because it doesn't for many people. So I Mm -hmm. want to talk about that.
1: One thing I've learned through my own experiences working um, as a worker in recovery is that the cockier you are about your recovery, the more chance there is of relapse, it seems.
2: Yeah, because if you think you know everything, like recovery is such a multifaceted thing that just changes every year. Um, not again, like I don't know, but um, I know people in recovery that you, if you, you know, pretend you know it all and just rely on yourself for you know all that sober knowledge, you're gonna relapse again. Which was part of my problem when I first got sober was I just I was like, oh, I'm done. I've done it. I know how to do it. But I, you know, I wasn't really asking for help from people or seeking out advice, and so I relapsed.
1: Are there any um, skills you've picked up um, that have kind of helped you through this process that you would recommend to other folks, or is that kind of a...
2: Yeah, yeah, they're pretty... um, It's hard to... Okay, I guess one of the things that I still really have a problem with is talking to people about what I'm going through and seeking help. Like, I have a really hard problem asking for help um, because I'm just really independent. Like, I've moved to, um, you know, two big cities by myself. I've made my career by myself. I've gotten all my apartments by myself. You know, I've done everything for myself without anybody else's help and so to suddenly be in a position where I need help was really difficult for me and so asking, learning how to just ask for help was a huge thing and anyone in this position, I would suggest just asking because you don't there's so much you don't know that it's hard to admit that you don't know anything and that you need help but that can be a big uh, big boon to someone trying to get sober
1: Mhm. hmm um, another thing i've noticed is you've kind of gotten more involved as far as like immediate community um, tell me about how pizza island has been a boon uh, and yeah maybe we'll let folks know what pizza island is too
2: Oh, yeah. Pizza Island is um, a very poorly named, uh, you know, with me and there's six of us, six uh, cartoonists, and we just it's in Greenpoint. And it's been helpful to me just to get out of the house, because a lot of my, the last of my drinking years was just me in my house, drinking by myself for years, and not ever engaging. Uh, Sarah Glidden has been my close friend for, since I moved to New York, so she had to put up with a lot of me being an alcoholic and not going out. But now that I have a place to go, like, I have to put on pants in the morning and go out and work. And that's very helpful to just remember and just that I can be part of the community and talk to these people. And again, that's, you know, sort of just letting people in and just, you know, not hanging out in your jammies all day. It's fun, but it doesn't feel good day after day after day.
1: Mm-hmm. There's, there's got to be something said about just having peers to bounce ideas off.
2: Yeah, I don't have very good ideas. I have a lot of ideas, and most of them should not ever come to fruition. But left to my own devices, I will. And um, it's nice to have the girls to be like, no, that's that's one of your more stupid ideas. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's very helpful. It helps me save face a lot.
1: Is there a particular reason that it's all women, or is it just kind of happened that way?
2: Yeah, I know that people mention that a lot to kind of become a thing that's like a women's studio, but um, we did not plan it that way. It just happened that the four of us who were originally looking for a studio happened to be women, and then um, both Kate and Meredith moved here at the same time and were looking for studio space, so we just invited them. But what happens a lot is people think that we did it on purpose, so they... They will talk about a woman's collective, which we're not a collective either. We just work together, but not together on projects. Mm-hmm. To work around each other, and so they'll sort of play it up uh, when we don't really want that to be played up. But then again, I also understand that you know uh, there's a lot of people who are anti talking about being a woman in comics, which I agree with because I you know we want it to just be people making comics and not women making comics, but you can't. I don't mean you personally. You and <laughs> you.
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually pretty careful. I try not to ask. What's it like to be a woman making yeah. comics?
2: So the thing is, is you can't um, you can't ignore that comics in the big picture throughout time has been mostly a male-dominated field, and it's fairly new that women are coming in and they are doing a different kind of comic. They're not really doing superhero comics. So to deny that is it's just sort of it's not unfair but it's just it's definitely a dialogue that i am against but also like to um to talk about because you can't deny that it was what it was and it's changing
1: mhm it's it's a precarious balance between uh naval gazing and um i don't know how to put the words i'm looking for but you know what i mean yeah it's it's good to have the dis- a, 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 an open and frank discussion but not to be um ghettoizing.
2: Yeah, and not to have it be your thing that you like to rant about on Twitter or something. So.
1: Yeah. I got other stuff to rant about on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> now you've dropped the Fart Party moniker. Um, any particular reason, like, just moving on? Is that kind of a past Julia? Um,
2: you, ever... you know, it's only coincidental that it coincides with a change in my personal life because I actually, I still like the name but it's I'm just tired of it, and the more I realize that it's kind of a a very alienating name because a lot of people won't pick it up because of that. Not because they particularly hate the name, although I understand that too, but (laughs) because they expect something else. I mean, it sounds like something it's not at all. So I just kind of wanted the name to start to reflect more of what it is, or just not to have the word fart in the title because I'm so sick of people. (laughs) They'll leave comments that are like, Oh, girl, it's into farts! Oh, Fart City or something. I don't know. Just they're all, they make all these fart jokes. And I'm like, I don't... You know, if you're going to tell a fart joke, it has to be really funny. It can't just be a reference to farts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you find your humor has changed over the years since starting the strip?
2: Yeah, I think it's... I'd like to think it's become a little more sophisticated. And I mean in the sense that it deals more with... Um, Emotional issues and personal things, rather than just a jokey punchline. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's moved into. I it was still. I mean, I dealt with some serious issues before, but I was very glib in the dealing with it, and it was more all about the joke. And this time, I want it to be more about the substance, and then the joke to kind of just be a pleasant afterthought. So that's how it's changed. And some people don't like it. Um, I've lost some readers because of it, but I don't really care because the readers I'm shedding are, like, the early 20s kids, you yeah. know, who, so, like, they're like, oh, adult things, I don't no, I don't want, but that's fine, I don't, like, I was, uh, and TCath, we were hanging out with Lisa Hannah in the studio, mate, and she was like, I don't trust uh, anything, or I don't listen to anything that anyone under 25 says. <laughs> and, uh, I I tend to agree.
1: Aww. Those kids—they don't know nothing.
2: Because <laughs> now that I'm so old, you know.
1: You're like what, twenty-seven?
2: So Rave over here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> kids, you're all kids. <laughs> do you are you do you ever want to um, kind of change the focus in your comics from autobiographical to taking on other storylines, or do you kind of feel that your yeah. story is the story you want to
2: tell? Well, my, ultimately, it's my story, and I'm, I've got a couple more autobiobooks, you know, coming, but I, I have started to work on, um, I've started working on a kid's book, actually, that um, is mostly for, I was like, what What do I want in a kid's book? I don't really care what kids want, but it's this this kid who, in the turn of the century, late 1800s, and he's a newsie, because I really like the newsies, <laughs> and he, it's this whole... I, I wrapped up a lot of uh, real historical references into it. Like, Chicken Johnson was the leader of a gang in Flatbush in Brooklyn um, during that time. And I had him uh, kidnapping his parents, this kid's parents. And there's a magic wagon and all these things that I want. There's like a backward circus. And it's kind of... And it's drawn in the style of, I would say, more traditional Disney movies like Pinocchio. And it's kind of, I guess, like a Bill Pete style. So, and it's different, yeah. And I like it. I like to get out of my own stupid head every once in a while. It feels nice.
1: So you're really trying to push yourself artistically to take on different styles?
2: Yeah, yeah. I just try something other than what Than the cartoony, plain black and white. I might even add color to this one. so Or just an ink wash. I don't know. I haven't decided. But it's fun.
1: I know you've been doing a lot of kind of sketchbook Stuff and tell me how that's been for your process
2: uh, Actually I haven't been doing it so much recently As I've just been posting it recently um, I did most of those A couple year to a couple years ago um, well, But I have been Drawing cityscapes a lot lately Like I'm doing a postcard series for Word Bookstore about different Places around around Point. Um Just because I like Drawing buildings. I don't like drawing people though, and everyone's always telling me if I keep a sketchbook, I have to work on drawing people. And if you look at my work, it's very clear that I don't ever practice figures because they're just they're awful. But my backgrounds are getting better. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the important thing. The figures. And I just don't. I don't care. I'm just gonna draw what brings me the most uh, pleasure.
1: You know. You got a good future as a background player, kid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>
1: Um, going back to kind of what was going on before, um, how do you feel about your comics now? The way you created them in sobriety, to how you're engaged with them before, when?
2: Um, I'm much more invested in them now. I think because they're more accurate. I I haven't I don't show a lot of the work I've been working on the last year um, on the internet, so it's kind of hard to explain to people. But I the The art became better, much quicker. I think, cause I wasn't drawing drunk, which I used to do a lot, and it looks it. But um, it's just taken a more personal turn, and I think it's much more. I guess, for lack of a better word, it's more mature. And because of because that sort of subject isn't as time sensitive as a topical or cultural or fart joke. Yeah. Um, I I like it more. I feel like it'll hold up. Uh throughout time more than, you know, certain jokes will that I'm already embarrassed that I made in the earlier books, so. The earlier books were more stand-up comedy, but now, and even in comedy, like, I listen to a lot of stand-up comedians, and even that has changed with my work, like, I really like the people who tell personal stories now, as opposed to just joke punchline, joke punchline, which I don't really get anything out of, because there's no heart in that, there's no invest, I'm not invested in people, and now I, like, I prefer to be invested in the person who's telling the story, and there to be some sort of connection there. So that's what
1: I'm doing. So, are you hoping readers get more connected with the work you're making now?
2: Uh it you know, it's more more selfish. Like I want to be more connected to the work I'm making now. I don't really care if because if people aren't who are reading it aren't really going to get an accurate story because I leave a lot out of my books. It's you know, you can draw yourself once on the toilet, and everyone's like, oh, they show everything because of that scene, and then they think they're getting the whole picture. But there's a lot that I leave out just for the sake of other people or for myself. And um, so it's not really the full story, but I just wanted to be more honest, I guess, in this sense, that what I talk about is more real than telling a joke or talking about, uh, you know, what I ate or did or lack of things I did on a Thursday, which is what I used to do a lot. I just want yeah. to have a few
1: right now. It sounds like more kind of overarching, grander discussions than necessarily.
2: Yeah, and it goes on, you know, stories will go on for a couple of pages as opposed to drinking the movies, which every page is a standalone page. And um, that's been hard to learn how to write not for six panels and to not wrap it up with a joke at the end, which I still do a lot. But it's been difficult to train myself to write for a couple of pages because I naturally want to wrap up a conversation at the end of panel six. So it's hard to to redo it.
1: Got to break yourself out of that. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today, Julia.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: It's been swell to talk. Um, Once again, to remind folks, the books are The Fart Party and Drinking at the Movies, which you can find at com. Is that the best place? I think that's the best place to go. Um, yeah, and thanks for uh, being able to do this last minute.
2: <laughs> you mean forcing you to do it? <laughs> I was like, when am I going to be on Inkstuds again?
1: Oh, no, I, I like chatting with you. And, uh, you know, i got to talk to more of your studio mates.
2: Yeah, yeah you should have them
1: up. i got to gear up for, for a talk with Lisa at some point. i uh, just got to yep. Wrap my head around her work in the right way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's difficult, but pleasurable.
1: Oh, yeah, I love her. Love her stuff. It's just, it comes from another world.
2: (laughs) I know the inside of her head must be amazing and such a mess. It's like it's
1: probably like a circus with like pugs floating around, (laughs) juggling or something.
2: We were watching this uh, TV on the radio. Had this. They did videos for their last album, and there's this one that's just all these neon-colored animals changing and jumping off of things, and I was like, this is what it must look like inside of Lisa's head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julia.
3: Goodbye to you, my trusted friend Joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun But the hills that we climbed were just seasons out of time Goodbye Papa, please pray for me I was the black sheep of the family You tried to teach me right from wrong We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun But the wine and the song, like the seasons have all gone We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun But the wine and the song, like the seasons have all gone Goodbye Michelle, my little one We, there. we had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun. But the stars we could reach would just starfish on the beach. We had joy, we